0: We've been in a series since Pentecost about what is a spirit-filled church. What are the characteristics that we see in Scripture of a spirit-filled church? We've noted many of them over the course of these four weeks. We've talked about the fact that God is allowed to do what God wants to do, and that's our prayer, amen? That a spirit filled church is a church that wants to be obedient, that strives to live according to God's word. That a spirit filled church is a church that has passion. We have passion for Jesus, passion for his word. That we're a church of prayer, that everything needs a foundation of prayer in our lives. That we're a church that is unified through Christ. That we're a church that praises God, speaks about the wonderful works of God. That the Word of God is alive in a Spirit-filled church. And that the name of Jesus is glorified. And we've looked at all those things and some more. Last week we talked about being a Spirit-led person and how that God's presence is with us, that He will lead us and guide us and direct us into what He has for us. And today I want you to talk to, talk to you about spirit led evangelism. Spirit led evangelism. Because a spirit filled church will be a church that evangelizes. There's no question in Scripture about that. And so I want us to look, and, and, and as we look at this passage of Scripture today, we may get a different idea about evangelism. Because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where they begin to go and evangelize other communities, but it wasn't because they came together and had a certain strategy strategy or a plan. They, they, They were simply being led by the Spirit and God even nudges them along. How, how many of you have ever needed God to nudge you? Amen. Because there's something you really didn't want to do. Well, God nudges the church in this passage of Scripture. I want you to, to, to look with me at uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to l- read verse 1 through 7. Now, at this time, there was between 15,000 and 20,000 Christians. Chapter eight takes place about eight years after the birth of the church, or the day of Pentecost, about eight years after Jesus had given them the Great Commission. So there had been a period of time that had taken place. And the church had thrived. The church was growing. There were, there were miracles that God was doing through the church. And everything looked great, but there was something absent. We're going to look at that. Now Samaria, it talks about Samaria. And Samaria was about 35 miles away from Jerusalem. That's not a long distance in, in our uh, time today. You know, it's, it's closer than driving to Anchorage. And we don't think about that being that long. Unless you live in Anchorage and in the valley, it seems like it's forever. <laughs> but if you live in the valley, you know Anchorage isn't a big deal. You can scoot right over there. Well, Samaria was about 35 miles away. And we see that they hadn't reached Samaria yet. Now, let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture with me. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. He was talking about Stephen there. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. He was murdered simply because he was a Christian. It says, At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, listen to this, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. I love that last verse, don't you? Everybody say that with me. And there was great joy in the city. I love that. Now, I want you to notice some words in this passage. First of all, in verse 7, the word many. There were many Samaritans that were in bondage. They were living a life under the rule of the enemy. The enemy had a hold in their life. Many of them were were experiencing a need of healing. Then in verse 8, it says, and there was great joy in that city. And that's what I want us to see today. There, there is a kingdom of darkness that is real that wants to, to put bondage and hold back people and hinder them and keep them from fulfilling what God has planned for them and to keep them from experiencing the great and tremendous joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Amen? Now in verse 9, it says, it says something else. It, it's, it's going back and and it's doing a flashback and it's telling us the background story of what was going on in this city now look at verse 9 with me but there was a certain man called simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of samaria claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest Notice that phrase from the least to the greatest. You see that a few times in Scripture. One time it's it's uh, reversed, but the same thought is in the book of Jonah, where Jonah comes into the city of Nineveh, and he begins to he he preaches basically turn or burn. It's a very short message. I think it was only five words in the Hebrew, but he he he, he tells them what God has told him. But God does something miraculous. It's a city of about 120,000 people. And it says, from the greatest to the least, they believed God. An entire community believed God and they repented. It says they put on sackcloth and ashes. And church, I love the fact that the Bible talks about from the greatest to the least, or here, from the least to the greatest. It's talking about everyone in the community... And in Jonah, it's talking about God bringing deliverance and setting an entire city free. And here, it's talking about the bondage was in the entire city. But God again sets the city free and brings great joy. How many believe God can still do that? I believe God can save a city. Because His Word says that He has in the past. And I believe He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God will do it again. In verse 11, it says, And they heeded him, Simon, who was, he was deceived, and he was deceiving others. They heeded him because he had astonished them with the sorceries for a long time. Notice the word great that's used in this passage, and astonished. And then notice in verse 10 it says, this man is the great power of God. He had them deceived, but he was manifesting in his life a genuine power that astonished people and deceived them. Then in verse 10 it says, to whom they all gave heed. So the entire community saw power in this sorcerer, Simon. And they were giving him heed. They were believing in his power that he was manifesting. In church, there's a message there for us in the fact, listen to this, if if you discount the power of the enemy, you're going to be deceived. There are those today that that think, well, there's nothing to Satanism or witchcraft. They're just a bunch of nutty people that get involved in that. That's not what Scripture says. He was operating in a genuine power of the demonic. There was an anointing from the devil upon Simon's life that he was able to do things that were abnormal, that weren't... Normal in any way for a human to do, and they were recognizing that, so they were thinking he was something great. He was telling them he was great. And they were falling for that deception. Church, that's why I, I never let my kids read certain books growing up. You say, well, I don't think there's anything to it. A lot of those books may not intend to, but they give place for the enemy to deceive children if it's talking about sorcery if it's talking about witchcraft and yes i'm talking about harry potter it introduces children to witchcraft to magic and you say well there's nothing to that god's word says there is something to that and that they can be deceived that's good preaching Protect your kids. Amen? Amen? Know what they're watching on TV. Know the cartoons. Sometimes they'll slip uh, deceptive things even into children's cartoons. I was watching Disney the other day and I saw something that just made me sick. So even, even what we thought used to be safe, we need to guard our kids. Yes. But, but there, the fact is that Simon was operating in a demonic spirit, in, in a power... And, and, and I've encountered this in the past. Years ago, I used to work in the sheriff's department. And I would, I would go in, and there would be young men that would be in there, and I would see these pentagrams and other tattoos that they had that were definitely demonic. And if I had the opportunity, I would ask them about them. And, and uh, there was even a, a satanic high priestess that the jail had to allow in, just like a chaplain, to talk to this young man because he was a member of her church and I asked him why did you get involved in that point-blank the young man looked at me and said because I saw genuine power and he said I began to operate in that power and I began to manipulate my parents and I would get them to do what I wanted them to do by casting spells on them. Church, we need to stand up and realize there is a power greater than witchcraft. There's a power greater than Satan. Amen? It's Jesus! And the church needs to operate in the power of God and manifest the power of God through our lives so that the world will see there's something greater. And that's what takes place in this chapter. Amen? I love it. Now, look at verse 6. It says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. There's a shift here. I want you to see that. They were heeding Simon, and now it says with one accord, they're heeding Philip. They're listening to Philip. There was another message being preached. There was another power that had entered the situation. And the power that Philip was operating in and allowing to flow through his life was the power of the true and the living God. And guess what? Great joy came to the city. I love that. Darkness had been ruling in Samaria until this time. But there was a confrontation. in church, anytime there is evangelism, there's going to be confrontation. Because where the enemy is given place, he will rule. And if the enemy has deceived people or they have welcomed him in some way, then he establishes the kingdom of darkness or his rule in that city. So the church has to come, just like Philip, with a different message and with a power that they know is greater. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world. Amen? Do you believe that today? So we come, just like Philip. What happened? We see in this passage, look at, look at, uh, look at verse 12. Philip comes with a greater message, a greater power. And, and I love that. Look at, look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip, there was a shift. They listened, they heeded, and then they believed. They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized, so they were going through and being obedient to what Jesus told us to do. When they believed, they were giving that outward evidence. I'm not the same anymore. Amen? Look at verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. Did you hear that? Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. There's a powerful truth there I want you to see. Not only did God break the bondage that was in that community, but he went to the very source the one who had given himself over to the bondage, who was deceiving the people, who was helping the enemy to rule that community, and God saved Simon the sorcerer. He believed. Now there's there's other issues in his life that God needs to deal with later, but we're not going there today. But what I want you to see there, church, It doesn't matter how great the bondage is in the life of someone who's deceived, the power of God is greater to set them free. Let that sink into your heart. That's why we send missionaries around the world into the deepest parts of, of of the darkness in this world. That's why we go around town and share the love of Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what kind of bondage. It doesn't matter if it's drugs. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol. It doesn't matter if it's pornography. It doesn't matter if it's resentment or bitterness. It does not matter what kind of bondage is in your life. The power of Jesus Christ is greater. The power of His blood is greater. And Jesus still sets the captives free. Amen? That brings hope today. Because there are people that you know right now that you've kind of written them off because you don't think there's any way they're ever coming to know Jesus. Stop it. If God can save Simon, He can save them. You may have a son or a daughter who's grown, who's abandoned the church, and they're, they're drifting away. Maybe they've got into alcohol or drugs or other things. Maybe you just look at them and you think they're throwing their life away. You come and begin to spiritually do battle on behalf of them. You, you, you stand there and say, devil, take your hands off of what belongs to God because I dedicated that son or daughter to Jesus when they were an infant. You begin to pray over them. You begin to believe that God is going to move in their life. And you don't give up. Amen? When I see Samaria and the fact that it was in such great bondage, it gives me hope today. It gives me hope. I believe that God can save the valley. And I'm not saying that We're the only church and that we're going to do it by ourselves. But I believe there's a lot of churches in the valley that have a passion for Jesus and have a passion for our valley, and they're interceding for our valley. They're interceding for their friends. They're believing that God is going to save from the greatest to the least. Amen. How many would like to see all of Alaska saved? As we grow closer and closer to these end times, we see how, how the deception of the enemy is everywhere, how the enemy's working powerfully. But church, this passage declares that God is greater. Amen? No matter how strong the stronghold is, our God is greater. And he does it, listen to this, he does it through one Christian he turned this city around through one man that was committed to him think what he can do with churches filled with people that are committed to him but as marvelous as this story is is marvelous as all that God was doing in the early church, and they were growing and multiplying. something is absent, something is missing. look at look at uh, chapter one in Acts and verse eight. What did Jesus tell the church? What was some of his last commandments to them? He told them, he said, "But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And look, in Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church was doing great. They had to say, wow, in eight years, we've gone from 120 in an upper room to about 15,000 or possibly 20,000. They were seeing miracles, signs and wonders. God was moving. They were studying the Word and growing. They were fellowshipping. They were having church. But they left something out. They forgot about Samaria. They forgot about the people that were in bondage there that needed Jesus. The early church had been obedient in so many areas but we find that they hadn't been obeying the Great Commission anybody ever heard of the Great Commission I I think most everybody's heard of that even if you're not a Christian you've heard somebody talk about the Great Commission well I want to look at a few of the verses again where we get that phrase from it's in Matthew chapter 28 it's one of the most common verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Is there any authority greater than Jesus? No. Does it say, all authority has been given to me, Hare Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad, and any other religious leader? That's what the world wants to tell you today. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Then he says what? Go! Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say go and just pray a little prayer, put a little stamp or a little star on your chart. I led somebody to Jesus. He's saying no, go, disciple them, pour out into them, train them up in the way they should go. Help them to be strong and disciplined so that disciples make disciples. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark's rendition goes this way in Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In Mark 16, verse 20, it goes on and says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. There's the power. Turn to somebody and say, there's the power. (laughs) God was confirming the word through signs. Miraculous things were taking place. Church, I pray for miracles. Because I know that we're doing everything we can to preach the truth. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say, Lord, I want more miracles. I want more healings. Confirming your word. Amen? And I want you to pray that way. I want you to believe God for it because he does do miracles. Stephanie gave her testimony last week, a torn rotator cuff. She couldn't, couldn't hardly lift her arm up any higher than that. And Melinda prayed for her and told her, okay, now see what you can do. And she just started and she, she's doing it again. Effie was, Effie was healed of tendonitis. Just a few weeks ago, six months, that ringing in her ear, the women's Bible study prayed for her. God healed her. Sunday night ago, uh, Bill Keel was here. He came in, and he had a torn, uh, he fell on the slope, tore his knee. When they put it back together, uh, they had to remove part of the muscle, and they had to take the two parts of the tendon and, and bring it back together. And so it was very stiff and he, could, he didn't have much mobility in his knee any longer. He came in and had Pastor Lyle and my group, we began to pray for him. All of a sudden he said, I feel something tingling. And he, he starts moving his knee. And then, he, then he's moving it this way and he's moving it this way and he's going, God, heal me. church he still confirms his word and we need to we need to see that we need to believe god for that now look at luke luke's rendition of the great commission luke chapter 24 verse 49 behold i send the promise of the father upon you but tarry in the city of jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high so endued means to be clothed with in the original language. God was going to clothe them with power that was greater than their humanity to fulfill being a witness. Church, we can't be the witness Jesus wants us to be without his power. We'll fail every time. In verse 47 of that same chapter in Luke 24, it says, it gives the responsibility. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. So he's telling them, go everywhere, go to all nations. And he's saying, repent. Church, repent isn't a dirty word. Sometimes as Christians, we don't like to use that word. You need to have a heart of repentance every day. Because we're not perfect. We, we, we have thoughts we shouldn't have. We say things we shouldn't ha- should say. We do things we shouldn't do. And lo- we need to say, oh, Lord, help me every day. Lord, I repent. Lord, I know that this, this flesh stumbles and falls. Then, then it says to preach remission of sins, that Jesus paid the price for our sins. We can have our sins removed from our life, have that relationship with, with the Father through the Son. Then we, we see two things that are, that are a struggle. I want you to remember these two things. When it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission and being evangelistic, it's the command and the prophecy, those two things. The command and the prophecy. Because we see both in Scripture. And I want us to see that. We just read verses where Jesus said, go. And so there's this idea of I get saved, and then Jesus says, okay, go, get her done. So here we are. What do I do? How do I, I've got to win the whole world. I've got to take the gospel all around the world. How am I going to do that? But then we also see a prophetic statement in Matthew chapter 24. Listen to this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's Jesus prophesying that the whole world is going to hear the gospel. Every nation is going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel. So, which is it? Is Jesus pushing us out and say, go get her done? I've heard pastors with that attitude quote uh, this verse in Matthew 24, 14 and use it to kind of manipulate people. Well, you've got to give more to missions or we've got to get out and and spread the gospel around the world because Jesus can't come back until we do. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying there. I think he's saying there's an inevitable reality in that my church is going to take the gospel everywhere to every nation and then I'm coming home. I don't think we look, look at these two uh, what seem to be contrary ideas of, of a command to go and do it and a prophecy that it's going to get done. They go together. I don't think they're opposing one another. But any time... That we see uh in this passage something else i want us to in acts chapter 8 verses 4 and 5 look what was going on everybody say it persecution is there anybody in here that likes persecution i don't think anybody really likes persecution there are churches right now around the world that are suffering persecution. There are churches that are being burned down. I think the average is like eight people a day are murdered for their faith somewhere in the world. Persecution is a reality. And we see in the end time passages, persecution is going to increase. And we think, well, this is the United States and we've got freedom of religion and we're not gonna be persecuted I think we're deceiving ourselves because I see persecution coming by the statements by different lawmakers and those that are in government those that are that are just pushing that agenda that that everything that's wrong with our nation is wrong because white Christians established it and I'm not saying our nation's perfect and we did some horrible things but I still know that we have the greatest nation that the world's ever known. And I'm thankful for that. And I believe in freedom, I, and I believe in, in, in a racial equality. You know that because it's biblical. We've talked about it. And everybody's welcome in our church. But we welcome them in to line up their life with what Jesus has given us. Amen? Amen? So we see persecution came, and in, in uh, verse 4 of Acts 8, it says, Therefore, they were scattered, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And what I want us to see here is it doesn't say that they all came in Jerusalem, and Matthew was holding a class on how to be a great soul winner. It doesn't say that. Now, you say, Pastor, do you have something against that? No. I think those classes help a lot of people. They help them get over their fear. They, they help people uh, have techniques and a way to share the gospel when they're timid and they, they've never done it before. I don't have a problem with that. But what I want you to see is that in this passage, they were scattered because of the persecution. God was giving the church a nudge because they hadn't done what he had told them to do. It had been eight years, and he was nudging them a little with persecution. And guess what? They went everywhere preaching the gospel. Now, the word that's used there is an all-inclusive word. And it doesn't mean that they all took their little pulpit, set it down on the corner, and said, Here's three points in a poem. Now give your heart to Jesus. It wasn't a formal preaching that it's talking about. Everybody say this. Most people struggle sometime in their life with gossip. I'm giving you the one time when you can gossip, according to Scripture. Because what it's talking about there is gossiping the gospel. That's what it's talking about. You can actually even interpret it as gossiping the gospel without doing damage to the original text. Now, I'm not talking about you going and tattletelling and talking about somebody's problem or somebody's fault or this or that. I'm not talking about that kind of gossip. I'm talking about wherever you go, you say, Hi, Todd, I'm Milt. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what God's doing in my life right now. It's so good. He is so awesome. Do you know God? Awesome, awesome. You're a brother. Let's go tell somebody else. It's just everyday conversation where there was so much Jesus in their lives that they couldn't help it. It was overflowing from their life, and it became just a natural thing for them to talk about Jesus. They were gossiping the gospel. Hi, I'm Pastor Milt. How are you? I'm doing good great do you know what god's doing in samaria right now have you heard there was a miracle philip this guy he came in and he's talking about this man named jesus who died and was rose again and guess what there's miracles taking place hey you want to go here philip come on with me i'll take you think about it church that's what was taking place they were gossiping the gospel i love that How many want to join me today and say, God, help me never to gossip about anything except the gospel. In the midst of the persecution, God was doing something. You say, well, how did this happen? Church, the elders in Jerusalem didn't call Philip in and say, it's been eight years now and we, we want to have a plan, a strategy to go to Samaria. We should have gone to Samaria and we haven't done it yet. So Philip, we're gonna ask you to go and we're gonna give you some funds and we're gonna give you some support. And I'm not dissing that, okay? I'm not talking bad about those things. But what I am saying is God nudged Philip. I don't think Philip thought for a second about fulfilling the Great Commission when he went to Samaria. You know what I think he was thinking about? Thank God I'm out of Jerusalem and they're not going to kill me. Would that be the human tendency? That's probably what was on his mind. But there was so much of Jesus, he was so much filled with the Spirit and Spirit-led that when he went to Samaria, it was natural for him to begin to gossip about Jesus and what he'd done. Amen? Do you love that? I want to give you a couple more verses. Notice back in uh, in, uh, chapter 2, verse 41 of Acts. This was what the normality was in the early church, and we're almost through. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized. They had to receive what was being gossiped about and being preached about. And that day, there were 3,000 souls that were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. Church, be determined. Don't give up. Be determined to continue to go. Church, I will tell you, there's been Mondays when I came into my office or sit at home that I wanted to write out my resignation letter. Lord, I'm tired of dealing with people. And you know the ones I'm talking about. Because you get tired of dealing with them too. But I never did it. Because I was steadfast in my promise to God that I'm going to take his gospel to everyone that I can. I'm going to share the love and the life of Jesus. I'm going to pray for people, even the ones that irritate me. In fact, I'm going to pray for them twice as much. But God, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel. As Lord, Lord, as long as you give me strength, as you give me a sound mind, I'm going to continue to preach your word and teach your word and touch the lives of those that you allowed me to. That's been my heart. In verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's one of the things I strive is to preach you sound doctrine. And if if there is a passage that we come across that we don't know definitely, maybe there's a couple or three Different main understandings of what it's saying there. I'll share all those with you. And I'll be honest. But when, when, it, when it's the simple truth that we know, that we know, that we know, I'm going to preach it and double down on it. It also says that they fellowshipped. If you, if you look at me, you know I love to fellowship. It talks about breaking bread. And that's talking about taking communion together and also, I think, just having meals together. And in prayers. They were committed to prayer. In church, we're committed to prayer. Sunday nights are devoted to prayer. And yes, we don't have the crowd we do on Sunday morning. But we, we pray and we intercede. We pray for our nation. We pray for friends and families. We get in small groups and pray for one another. But we're going to continue to pray because God's Word tells it that it has to be a foundational truth in the life of every Christian. And I love the last verse that we were talking about in our passage originally in our text. And in that city... There was great joy. So you say, Pastor, what what is our responsibility? Making yourself available. Asking the Spirit to lead you in evangelism. Lord, do you want me to say something to one of my friends at work or maybe it's an enemy at work? Lord, do you want me to invite them out to Texas Roadhouse to have a steak, get to know them, and to tell them what you've done in my life? Do you want me to tell an employee or an employer what Jesus has done? Lord, do you want me to go on a short-term missions trip? Lord, do you want me to become a, become a full-time missionary? Lord, what do you want? Just churches. everybody say this with me. I'm going to make myself available. And I'm going to pray to have the same love that Jesus has for every person that I see. Today we hear negative things about preachers that We call them hellfire and brimstone preachers. I've been accused of that, just because I'm loud. I can't help that. It's the way God made me. I've tried, if you've been here very long, you know, I've I've, I've prayed, Lord, help me not to be so loud. And God, God rebuked me and said, that's the way I made you. I am passionate about the word church i want you to end with this thought jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven in scripture why because he didn't want anyone to spend eternity separated from god scripture says the lord says that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance is that our heart? If it's up to us, or are, are we making ourselves available and saying, Lord, help me to have your love for for those people that may seem unlovable? Lord, help me to, to to have the love of God to to Lord stop what I'm doing and and go on a short-term missions trip or or start giving monthly towards missions or Lord, sometimes we get it backwards. You know, they didn't go to Samaria. Sometimes we're focused on Samaria and the other parts of the world and we forget to go around the corner. I think that's the big sin of this generation. We, we'll, we'll put some money into missions every month and, or we'll, we'll uh, you know, do something that we think is helping support a missionary someplace else in, in, in Alaska or around the world and then we'll forget about going around to our next-door neighbor. We'll forget about going around the corner at work, around letting people know. How many, how many of you would be charged guilty at work of being a Christian? Does anybody know that you're a Christian at work? They should. And I'm not saying that you run up to them and grab them around the neck and say you need Jesus but just the way you live should radiate the presence of God because you're not cussing you're not joining in on foul jokes around the, the water cooler you're, you're doing a good job and going beyond because you understand scripture says that, that when I do it I'm doing it unto the Lord. So I'm not working for my employer. I am working for Jesus. So I want my employer to ask me why that I'm going above and beyond so that I can tell him it's because I believe God's Word. And God's Word tells me that I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Amen? Everything, everything in our life should shout to the world that there's something different about us. They should know know us by our fruit, the fruit of our lives. Amen. Stand with me and worship team, will you come? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The prayer today, as we close, we have a prayer team, and I'm going to invite them to come forward, and the prayer team to go around the back of the auditorium. And if you have any need in your life, they would love to pray for you. And especially if you've never made a commitment to Christ. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to pray with you today. I want, I want to pray with you that you'll open your heart. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know anything about this church stuff. It's not about church stuff. It's about recognizing that you need a Savior, that you're not perfect, that you sin, and all of us do. And that Jesus paid the price for our sin. He took it upon Himself. And that when we come to Him and ask Him to forgive us and come into our life, that He He cleanses us spiritually. That we're transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Amen. And our lives are filled with that joy that we read about today. And if that's you today, I want you to find one of our prayer team or come and I'll pray with you myself. But if you have a need, for healing or a relationship need, whatever your need is today, we want to close and give you a moment to pray. And as we open up the altars to come, I want to challenge you today to pray with me and say, God, I'm available. I want you to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And lord i thank you for the message in your word that speaks to our hearts and lord i'm available today years ago on a saturday afternoon when i felt you tugging my heart for alaska i said god I'm available, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And my family came to Alaska in 1994. And you've given us the privilege to pastor in various places around this state. But Lord, I'm still available wherever you want. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And Lord, I pray that that's the prayer on every heart in this building. Most of us will not be called to go on the mission field. But we can pray for them and we can support them. And Lord... We can be missionaries at work or in our clubs or in our school, in our community. We can be the light and be the salt that you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would be led of the Spirit. And Lord, just like Philip, Lord, that there would be times that you nudge us, Lord, and get us going, that we would go and we would be the light wherever you want us to be. And Lord, that we would always recognize that the power of God's greater than any stronghold of the enemy in a life or in a city. And Lord, I just pray that every heart here today would say, Lord, I'm available. Lord, you may be calling someone today to go on the mission field. You may be calling someone to, to go to the bush in Alaska. You may be calling others, Lord, to go on short-term mission trips. But, Lord, You are calling every one of us to be the light and to be the salt and to be evangelistic wherever You lead us. So, Lord, we say yes as a church today. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. yes Lord. Amen. Would you join us as the worship team begins to lead us in a song? And if you don't have a prayer on your heart, just begin to worship for a minute as others may have a need today. They want to come and want to receive prayer. Whatever your need is today, Jesus is the answer. Amen. He's the answer. Somebody's struggling financially here today, and Jesus is the answer. Somebody's struggling here today with attacks in their mind from the enemy. Jesus is the answer. Somebody here struggling with pornography today. Jesus is the answer. Somebody here most likely struggling from drugs or alcohol today. Jesus is the answer. Just like God set free Simon who was in that bondage. Jesus will set you free today. Whatever your need is, bring it to Him today. Hallelujah.